0: Welcome to the Clubhouse Golf Monthly's uh, podcast. Thank you very much for downloading uh, this episode. Uh, I'm going to start with an apology. Sorry it's taken me a while to get this particular episode uh, out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to blame it on the build-up for the Masters this year, which has been quite crazy. So please do accept my apologies. Um, we have Julian Surrey for you, and I did speak to him a little while ago. It was at the end of last year. In fact, it was just at probably about two days after he'd finished his two thousand and seventeen season. He was going from uh, Dubai, where he played in the World, uh, the, the Dubai World Championship, onto Hong Kong. Uh, so we were kind of reflecting on his two thousand and seventeen season, and it's a very interesting interview, and it's interesting because, for two reasons really. One, because he's an American flying his trade on the European tour. So following in the footsteps of the likes of Brooks Koepka and Peter Uline, uh, it's an unusual path for a golfer to take given the amount of opportunities there are to play golf professionally in the US, to choose to do it outside of the US is an interesting path to take. And secondly, because he jumped an enormous number of places in the world rankings last year. I think I'm right in saying it's around about a thousand places in the world rankings. So he started the year with a a status that enabled him to play a handful of events on the Challenge Tour. He ended up winning, he ended up making onto the European Tour and he won there as well and finished just outside the top 50 on the European Tour. So um, it was a staggering performance and as you'll see, as you'll hear, I should say, when you listen to this interview, he is uh, a young golfer with a hell of a lot of confidence who um, clearly sees himself at the top table of World Golf. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'm going to hand over to the podcast. Okay, well, thank you for joining me, Julian. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Neil.
0: Um, let's start by a um, quick question. Where, whereabouts are you in the world? I know that you're not in the UK. Uh, t- give, paint a little picture for no. us. Where Whereabouts are you? Um, and what sort of time zone are I'm, you on? Yeah.
1: So it is currently uh, 20 to 6 o'clock p.m. right now. I am in Hong Kong, um, uh, and down for the Hong Kong Open. Obviously, I uh, just got got uh, obviously got done in Dubai last week, and then took kind of a red eye flight Sunday night. And arrived in Hong Kong Monday morning uh, at about 6 a.m. and then uh, and that was yesterday. So pretty much uh, tried to catch up on some jet lag yesterday, laid in bed pretty much the whole, the whole day, and then uh, <laughs> and then just went out
0: today and played uh, seven holes. Um, f- first question, so ha- did, did you manage to celebrate at all at, at the end of the, um, end of the race to Dubai? Obviously a very good finish and a great season. Did you manage to celebrate at all, or you just, were you just straight back to work? Uh,
1: no, I had to catch a flight. I had a glass of wine on the plane, and I went straight to sleep, so that's... Uh, <laughs> That was about it. I think, uh, most of the celebration, um, I mean, you know, it it was a successful thing, but I I didn't, I didn't win anything down the stretch. So, you know, I'll have a good time when I go back home and, and, uh, you know, get to see my friends and, and the rest of my family. Luckily, my dad was, was out there in Dubai and so he had a great time and it was, it was kind of, uh, rewarding just for him to see me kind of compete on that level because he hadn't seen me play in probably four and a half years, um, since I was playing in college. So, um, so you know that was that was pretty cool just to see him you know kind of witness that and sort of how far i've come
0: see, seeing you in amongst all the crowds and um playing at that level must have been quite something i should think
1: yeah i think you know he he, he he's really cool i mean you know i remember earlier this year we were watching uh me and him were watching Justin Rose and Sergio duel it out at Augusta and uh obviously you know that was very exciting and we were enjoying that but me to be kind of in those last uh, couple groups and kind of be one of their peers and and be competing against them you know and only be separated by a stroke or two at the end of the at the end of the tournament and you know talking with them afterwards and you know it's just uh, i think it was it was cool for him cuz he obviously i know them as just you know golfers and yeah. you know kind of uh, colleagues but um, but obviously my dad you know he hasn't, hasn't been around that you know day to day and you know he's he was uh very he, much a, he
0: was, very much a he fan had a good time. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> right. Um okay so Gillian, this this seems like a good good place to start because you do have one of the more uh sort of extraordinary stories I guess for, of the players that make out on tour. There's lots of different players on tour from different backgrounds but but yours is quite an extraordinary one. For, for those of for those people listening to this who who might not know an awful lot about you because you have burst onto the scene uh in 2017. Can you just give us um an idea about your background, where you've come from um because not many European tour players have a U.S. accent, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> so can you just paint a bit of a picture for us? <laughs> yeah,
1: sure. No, I was, uh, I was born in New York, um, in, in Manhattan, actually, in New York City. We moved a little outside of there uh, early on, and I lived there until I was 10. Uh, my dad is from India, my mom is from Mexico, um, and my dad uh, played tennis uh, for in university in the U.S., and, and uh, played briefly professionally, and, and uh, so he kind of got me started early on in tennis and golf. And uh, and when I was about five, six years old, and then uh, you know when when Tiger Woods kind of hit the scene, that golf really stuck for me. And and uh, I had kind of a natural hand eye, but you know I ended up sticking with golf. Um, when I was ten, we moved down to Florida, just outside Jacksonville, in St. Augustine, um, which is uh, pretty close to TPC Sawgrass um a third 20 25 minutes south and uh lived there ever since um i went to university at uh, duke university in uh, north carolina in durham north carolina uh played there for 4 years um was an all-american and and graduated in 2013 um and then right around that time i started to kind of have some troubles with my swing and i'd always been a pretty self-taught player mm-hmm. um very handsy very feel oriented and uh, and then so I turned pro at the end of that year and uh, did the web.com Q school and missed it uh, at the first stage there and then was like I said struggling with my game and I was pretty stubborn to kind of see anybody to see coach uh, coach, or a second opinion or anything um, for the next really year year and a half and I was just kind of playing mini tour events in the US Um was doing okay it's not like I was shooting in the 80s or anything but I was just you know, not really playing them to my potential, and and um, and then uh, let's see. Earlier this, and uh, so I did the European Q School at the end of 2015. Um, got through first stage, missed getting to final stage by one at second. Right. Um, and then so I was a- I was able to get some invites on the Challenge Tour for 2016. Got five invites, um, made made all the cuts, but didn't really. Do anything I, my best finish was the 12th place I think I had another top 20 um, but uh, didn't, didn't really come close to seriously contending and then uh, that fall I did the European Q school again and made it to the final stage and then missed getting my European tour card by one um, so that gave me full challenge Tour status this year and I knew I'd get into probably seven or eight uh, European tour events for for this year um, and then, uh, and then this year, you know, I started off, um, started off, in, well, actually about a year ago was my first European tour event right after Q school in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came in 15th, I think. Um, and, uh, so that was a cool experience just competing. My, my good buddy, Harold Garner won that. And, you know, it was cool kind of competing against Adam Scott and, you know, guys you kind of looked up to for a while. And, um, and then, uh, had a couple months and, and then, Started the Challenge Tour season in Kenya, um, and then after that event, you know, I, I really was not pleased with with how I was going, and changed, or I started seeing a, a coach really for the first time consistently. His name is Dan Caragher, based in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, started working with him in April of this year. Uh-huh. Um, I worked with him for a solid for about a month, um, and then uh, came over here or came to Europe, and uh, my first event was the. Uh, Portugal Open where I came in second and kind of the rest sort of took
0: off from there it it all went off from there and it really did go off from there but I'm I'm keen to ask you about why you decided to come over to Europe why did you decide to go down the Challenge Tour route because um, well it's it's an unusual I know that Brooks Koepka's done it I know that Peter Uline's done it but it is an unusual move what was your thinking behind it all
1: yeah I think it is it definitely goes a little slightly against the grain I, I would say the biggest reason was Um, You know, after changing the two school process in uh, in the U.S. about four or five years ago, or whatever, um, you know, you have to go through the Web.com, and and the Web.com is a great place to prepare your game. Absolutely, I I Monday qualified for a couple Web events, and and it's the competition there is extreme, is very you know very high, very deep fields, but. uh, you know, I thought there was something to be said for kind of developing off the course as well and, and, and traveling out on your, you know, in, in new places. And, and obviously I have a, a sort of multicultural background. And so being open to new new places, new cultures, new foods, that's always kind of uh, appealed to me. Um, and uh, so once I felt that my game was ready, I felt like the ceiling was a little bit higher to... Make it straight onto the European tour through the Q school, then in the U.S. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Obviously, I'd seen what Brooks and, and Peter had, had done, and, you know, um, they'd done a really good job. I, I'd grown up playing junior golf with them in Florida uh, and, you know, all throughout the college ranks and everything. So I've known both of them for a long time. I'm actually rooming with uh, Brooks's brother this week, Chase. Right. But um, just known the family for, for a long time. But, um,
0: What's that like, rooming with another player? I mean, people probably don't think about European Tour. Uh, you know, Winners on the European Tour, people who finished in the top 10 in the final event of the European Tour season, rooming with other guys. Um, what's it like? I mean, I guess it's, it's sort of fairly normal for you because you've been doing it for so long now. But
1: Yeah, it's not that big a deal. I mean, um, I'm comfortable really with either. Um, I usually don't go out of my way to ask other players uh, to room. Usually if someone asks me and, you know, it sounds good and, I don't hate the guy, then, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the times this year, especially since I've won in Denmark and I've been on the main tour, I've roomed with Dylan Fratelli. Um, I've known him for a while since since the college. Day. He played in the U.S. also. Um, and uh, so that's been convenient. But I'm just as comfortable on my own, too. So, uh, it, honestly, it really doesn't matter. It is nice to room with someone to have, uh, you know, um, someone to eat with and stuff like that. But um, it's definitely not a uh, binding agreement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wanted to, to ask you, I mean, looking back on your sort of 2016, 2017 season, I, I was I was looking at it yesterday and, and by the end of 2016, you'd played five Challenge Tour events and won €8,000. Uh, um, and having come close at Q School but missed out, what were you thinking at that point? So sort of going into 2017, were you feeling okay, this is my big opportunity to to stamp my mark? Or or did you feel like you've got a long way to go still? You know, I felt like a little bit of both. I felt like personally,
1: with my game, I felt like I had a long way to go, not to compare to anybody else, but more to sort of start to realize some of the the potential I I have. I know I've always had a very high ceiling and and uh, you know I have a, kind of a knack for the game. I, I've always kind of known that. And with my, I have, you know, I hit it pretty long, and I have a good feel around the greens. And I just felt like I have a lot going for me. But I, I, even with those decent finishes, I felt like you know I was really just scratching the surface. And honestly, I still do. But um, as far as uh, what I had in front of me, um, I knew I had a full season on the Challenge Tour. I was guaranteed whatever 20 uh, however many events there are on the schedule uh-huh. and um so I knew I knew I had a lot of opportunities with you know a whole bunch of world ranking points and and uh you know so I knew as long as I kind of kept my head on straight you know I knew what to expect a little bit from playing those five um last year and then uh you know I just knew if I just kept a good mindset and kept working on my swing and then um I'd be in a in a good spot and uh I think it worked out pretty
0: well, I'd say. Did, did, did you feel under sort of financial stress at that point? Did you feel, oh, I've really got to get going quickly here?
1: Yeah, you know, I've always, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, that's 100% issue. And, you know, I, I was, uh, that, that's absolutely something that, you know, creeps into your mind. But, uh, you know, I've always felt that pressure can either uh, burst pipes or make diamonds. So um, I've always felt like I've, I've played my best when I, when my back's against the wall. And so, um, I always, even now I try to kind of simulate that. And I feel like when I, when I feel like there's no other option and, um, then then to go out and do it, I feel like I, I perform very well. Um, so, so that's, uh, I don't know if I call it stress, but it's just like another sort of, uh, motivator. So I definitely tried to use that as motivation, but once I get on the course, um, you know, it's, I'm just trying to make as many birdies as I can
0: and then go from there. <laughs> and and I mean, you started 2017 at you know, over you know 1,137th in the world, and now you're down to 80th. I wonder was there a was there a, a sort of a light bulb moment or was was there kind of like a moment of inspiration during the year where you thought okay everything is now falling into place I'm hitting the ball better putting better what was it something must have clicked
1: you know honestly it was it was that month that I was grinding with with my coach uh, back home in April um, that was it you know after coming back from Kenya I think I came in thirty something place or 40th, maybe I don't know and uh, and I just felt like you know Hitting the drives that I did, and you know hitting it, I just wasn't getting anything out of my game. I think I shot one under maybe the last round, and I had seven or eight wedge shots that I hit outside of twenty feet, like just atrocious shots and and, and I was struggling for pars after having inside hundred yards from the fairway. So, uh-huh. um, you know I knew something had to change. and and so after that month of really hard work, it obviously wasn't a finished product by any means, but I think um, I was definitely on the right track and, and we kept in constant communication and we still do um, me and my coach and I think uh, it was it, it's just been kind of a gradual progression you know it's kind of been in stages um, the first three four weeks over there or in Europe and then kind of the next sort of what we're working on and then it's kind of just a, been a building up and, and um, as far as the light bulb moment I think um, you know it's uh, at the beginning of the year I felt like I had like I said I had the, the potential to kind of if I did things really well and very consistently I could get into the top 100 in the world I definitely because I've seen it done Jordan Smith last year got really close to it I know Brooks had done it a couple of years ago and and um, just strictly by playing the challenge Tour. so I knew there's a lot of points on the board and, and you know again it's all about consistency it's not just one good week of hot, hot putting or whatever will do it um, so, so I knew it was possible. Um, but you know, I think as far as the light bulb moment of feeling that I belonged out here and, and uh, you know, I, I'd probably say it was, um, uh, probably after I won, I was in the stretch of, um, in Czechoslovakia. I guess, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, I played Czech and and uh, played Switzerland and then and I did okay there. But KLM, I was kind of losing steam a little bit, and then I went back home for a couple weeks. And then I came back, missed the two cuts in in Dunhill and in Italy. And then the next week, Valderrama, I felt uh, I shot sixty five in the third round, which uh, and honestly, I you know, it's not like I was draining thirty forty footers. I was I was just sticking it close, and you know, kind of really. It's a, it's a hell of a test that that place, Valderrama. It's one of the toughest I've ever played, <laughs> and for me to shoot that score there, yeah, re, really. If I, I'd say if there was a light bulb moment, it would be there. It would it would have been that day, and right. just you know, just really kind of seeing like you know what, I feel like I'm one of the best players in the world now, and that's a round that one of the best players in the world would be proud of. Um, and uh, I think that took me. I made the cut on a number that took me into seventh seventh place something something in the top ten there and then um, ended up playing solid the last round shot even and i coming to eighth and um, that went a long way to getting me into to Turkey and I played well in Turkey um, that again kind of I don't know if there's another light bulb but it kind of cemented that idea in my head that you know this is this is where my where my game belongs and I, I still feel like I'm scratching the surface a little bit but right now I can I can you know compete with these guys so um sorry that was kind of a long drawn out answer but that was kind of the progression of how things you know built up a little bit
0: but but on, on more of a sort of granular level what was the difference between you in 2016 and you now what, what are you doing better
1: um i mean a hundred percent it's mechanics i think right um you know it's obviously going week to week and last week or last year i didn't know my schedule at all so i was literally finding out on Sunday nights and Monday mornings if I was in the event if I wasn't then I had to figure out where I was going to stay and you know what my next one would be because obviously going back to the US is a long haul you know and back and forth a lot but yeah. um, I'd say the biggest the biggest change was was the mechanical change in that month in April that I spent with, with my new coach um, and uh, just being someone I can bounce things off of and ask questions and now I kind of understand my miss and you know, when I hit a bad shot, I kind of understand what went wrong and what I need to do, what kind of practice swing I need to sort of enforce to to try to, you know, make to fix that. And, uh, and obviously learning how to play with it is something that I only I can do and not, you know, and trust it under the gun. That's my job and not, not the coaches, but just to, uh, to, to make a change. I've always been fairly stubborn, I'd say, and kind of unwilling to change, uh-huh. uh, but, uh, uh, that was that was definitely the uh that was a good move for me and probably the biggest uh biggest factor to me uh playing the way i have this year uh,
0: what, one of the the things that always sort of fascinates me about um top level golfers is because those of those people listening to this podcast now they probably all play golf i certainly play golf play a lot of uh amateur golf and when you're Feeling nervous on the golf course it yeah you know, it's very, it's you know it's hard to keep hold it together it's hard to keep going and just looking at your your win in Czechoslovakia I thought the sort of key moment there was that you made four birdies in a row um with sort of only a few holes left to play I think it was on the back nine on sunday um can you tell us a bit about the mindset in that situation are you are you thinking to yourself, I need to kick on and make birdies here or are you trying to be patient and?
1: Um, yeah, so that was the challenge event back in back in May, and I was uh, I killed it the first three rounds. I think I was twenty one under par or something for the first three. Um, just coming off a of sixty three, and uh, you know it was uh, I knew I was playing really well, and I came out. It was pretty much going into it. It was I think me and Tapio were separated by one or two strokes, and the next guy was or five, back of that. So, and we were playing together in a twosome. So I knew it was it was going to start out like match play. And then, then on the front nine, I remember hitting a lot of good shots. I would just miss the fairway by one or two yards, and and just kind of be stymied a little bit. It, would, it was it was tough to tough to make birdies and I think I was uh, two over on the front nine, and I felt like I really hadn't hit a bad shot. And uh, and I remember thinking on number ten, we're making the turn, and uh, I was like, you know what, you're, you're playing too good. To to keep going on this trend, and you know that's something I've always felt like if I do the right things and uh, and kind of keep believing in myself, in the long run it's gonna it's gonna pan out. You know, in the short run, in the short term, you might get some bad breaks, you might get some bad bounces, whatever. But in the long run, I feel like the person who believes in themselves the most will come out on top. And uh, yeah, you know, I I made four birdies in a row. I, I got pretty hot there, and I was. Uh, you know, once I make one or two birdies, I feel like I can birdie every hole on the course. And uh, and so, you know, I just needed that to get me going and, and uh, played uh, played solid from there on in, really. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like anything flipped a switch. I just told myself to keep going at it because um, it's not like I was, you know, the course was out there for the taking all week, really. There wasn't much wind. It was, um, you know, there's just a lot of birdies out there. so um got to keep plugging away and keep trusting my stuff because I knew it was good
0: enough to shoot 21 under it's not like it just uh disappeared all of a sudden you know I just had to kind of stay at it it must be quite a nice feeling to uh think that you can bird every birdie every hole on the golf course um sadly most of us don't know what that don't know what that feels like and um, what what's the what's the big difference then so, so you, you step up from from challenge tour to european tour um what's the difference is there a, it, i should imagine most people think there's a vast difference in the quality of the the golf that's being played is that true what are the golf courses like what, what are the differences between the two tours i'd say um the biggest difference is the courses
1: uh that i've found are the courses i think uh just the quality of the courses and, and the amount that they test your game um is is definitely superior on the on the on the main tour um you know, just uh, just in the past couple months, I haven't played, you know, like the Dunhill when I played Carnoustie, um, Balderrama, uh, you know, even uh, uh, the Ned Bank at Sun City a couple weeks ago. Like, these are just places that literally test every part of your game. And uh, and sometimes, you know, even par one under is not a bad score. It's, you know, you kind of grind it out and stay patient and... and uh, And, you know, keep a good attitude about everything, even though you might not get some good breaks. You know, that's just a fine line. Whereas I think on the Challenge Tour, um, you know, there are more courses where it's just just busted down there and wedge it on. And it's a little bit more maybe some of the courses are like a putting contest from what I've seen. Obviously, I hadn't played that many Challenge Tour events, um, five last year, and then however many I played this year. But that's sort of the, the impression that I got. Yeah. Um, I'd say so. The biggest, the biggest difference on this golf course, and then probably the depth of field. Um, usually on the Challenge Tour, it's about probably about the same twenty, twenty-five guys in contention for the most part every week. And then if you look at the results over the course of a month, that that sort of trend usually kind of uh, persists. But I think uh, on the main tour, you know, you you have. I feel like on the Challenge Tour,
0: you can win with one. Uh, sort of not so great round. Yeah. Um, and but on the main tour, you pretty much
1: need to keep at it for. four You have to have four good rounds. You have to string them together, and that's uh, that's not the easiest thing to do, especially when you're going week to week and and um, you know fatigue can set in and, and it can kind of uh, impede some of your decisions. And that's uh, I'd say those are the two biggest differences because you, you got to be on your game to to win out here. Uh, to finish top ten is you know. I think you can kind of. I mean, I screwed. I've screwed up on one round and and uh, shot over par and finished top ten, you know, or you know, kind of just had mediocre rounds. But to win, you can't can't really do that.
0: No. And then and then you reach uh, the middle of the summer this year and you play in your first major. Um, you played the Open at Birkdale. Um What was your experience of Lynx golf before that? What was um what's just what, what is the experience of playing in your first major like? Um I can imagine it's quite daunting um but also <laughs> incredible as it was, well.
1: Yeah, no it was awesome. My uh my mom came over and uh, I have a cousin who, who lives in London. She she rode up and then um and I had uh two friends, two brothers who who I went to university with and they came over and so we had to kind of and my coach as well. And so we had kind of a, sort of a house there and, and, uh, had fun for the week. No, I think it was, uh, it was an awesome experience as far as Lynx golf. The only Lynx golf I really played was the qualifier, um, at Glasgow Gales. I yes. hadn't, i played, uh, the band and dunes courses. I don't know if you've heard of them in, in Oregon. Yep. Um, about six years, six years ago, um, 2011, I went out there for a tournament, um, but uh, other than that, I hadn't played any Lynx golf. But you
0: know, um, I'm not however, sure as a as a golfing purist from the UK, point. as as a golfing purist from the UK, I'm not 100 percent sure whether they qualify as <laughs> traditional links courses. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: no, probably not. Probably not. But I think in the in the US, that's probably pretty as close as we got for to, sure uh, the, to a traditional. I would say for sure. But um, you know, I think. Uh, playing all year on the challenge tour definitely played in some inclement conditions so that had prepared me pretty well and I've always felt pretty comfortable kind of hitting punch shots and you know um, keeping it playing in with wind and and uh, so that prepared me pretty well for the qualifier and, and you know we had some obviously in Scotland in July you're going to have some rough weather most likely so yeah, um, definitely had that and played pretty much played 18 holes in the rain and then in the afternoon it was just cold and windy so it was uh it was grind it was a long day and I was, well, happy to make it through but um but for, as far as the actual tournament it was awesome you know hearing the name when they say my name usa the um, first tee was, was something that uh obviously there's only one first time but um you know that's it's just such a cool feeling and, and uh i uh ended up missing the cup by one um played in some of what i think was the worst weather on friday at a four I think it was my tee time was four thirty, the very last group. Yeah. Uh, finished at about nine thirty in the dark. Had a ten footer to make the putt on the last or to make the cut on the last call. Um, but missed that. And then um, you know, that was that was obviously a tough pill to swallow, but it kinda you know, I felt like I really executed extremely well through through that weather. Um, and then obviously uh, I don't know, my clubs also didn't come in. When I got there Monday morning they didn't get until Wednesday night. Right. So I was playing with um, so that was kind of an what you, added.
0: What pressure. were you playing with? I
1: had my clubs for the tournament, but
0: What what were you practicing so, with?
1: Luckily all the equipment trucks were there. Um, all the equipment trucks were there and they were able to make replicas, but you know, I had I used a different putter, which actually I'm still using now, but um, it was just a, just an added stressor. I wasn't able to play any holes Monday, which I probably would have if I had my clubs like, the wind coming from another direction. It was just uh, it was just an added stressor. But, uh, you know, I knew missing, despite all those things going against me, I still only missed the cup I won. So I kind of took it, tried to take it as much as I could as a positive and, and keep moving forward. And I was happy that I played the next week in, in Germany. And, and um, you know, I was actually in, in the mix there too through three rounds. I think I was in the second or third to last group and kind of had a bad final round Um, went home with uh, sort of that kind of bitter taste in in my mouth
0: Um, uh, what was um, what did you make of the golf course at Birkdale because Lynx Golf can be a bit of a a marmite thing some people uh, love it whereas other people think it's the only form of the game that really um, that really stands out. What, what was your take on, on on the sort of whole experience of the golf course and the challenge of the golf course? Because it was very tough. I mean, we were there; we saw it firsthand. It is a it's a phenomenal challenge. What did you think of it?
1: Yeah, no, it definitely is a challenge. You know, there's no room for error. Um, you got to know exactly where you're putting the ball, and and um, and even then, you can kind of get tripped up by a by a you know sort of screwy bounce that you won't get anywhere else. But I think. Uh, the, the, the emphasis is just kind of on controlling the controllables. Um, you know, I, over there, I, I felt like I, I hit it very well. And, uh, and you again, you have to hit it solid. The premium is just on knowing what your ball does and what what it does in certain conditions, how far it's going to go, and, and putting it in the right place. So it's all about strategy and kind of precision, which is kind of cool. Um, and, obviously, there's a lot of creativity around the greens. You know, you can put it where – you wouldn't put it on, on other courses and 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 bump and runs and stuff like that. So it, there's just a lot more, a lot more thinking, I thought, and it just kind of it takes, Really, I mean, at the end of the round, it kind of takes everything out of you, I thought. So um, especially in, in rough conditions, that just adds another dynamic to it. Um, but it's definitely, you know, it's it's uh, all encompassing, that's for sure.
0: So looking ahead, if we're sat here at the end of. Um at the end of twenty eighteen, what would you like to have achieved? What 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 do you think you're capable of achieving?
1: I want to keep working on the things I've, I've been working on with my coach and, and, and keep progressing. And um, I feel like mentally I've come a long way. I'm I'm much more comfortable in certain situations and contending at tournaments at big tournaments like these Rolex events the last couple of weeks. And and I want to um, I want to keep that progressing. And I want to contend in majors. You know, I feel like that's where my game belongs and I want to play in the biggest events in the world so um, you know I, I would I would love to uh, you know do that and, and you know closing the deal on one would be obviously the, the biggest goal but then um, you know improving my world ranking which is I think the biggest indicator of sort of consistent play which which is the most impressive thing to me you know growing up watching Tiger I thought the most obviously the winning was was awesome and, and all that, but I thought the most impressive stat was how he went. I mean, he went like ten years without missing a cut, which you know, that's mind-boggling. Like, you know, how, do you, how do you how do you do that? And that's playing in the strongest fields, you know, in, that there are out there. So, um, you know, just consistency, and, and I think uh, improving my world ranking. I'd like to get in that top uh, top twenty, you know, top twenty-five, and, and really kind of be a be a force out there
0: well it's from the sounds of it you have the uh you have the right attitude i'd say that for sure uh julian i'm gonna i st- i'm gonna finish up by asking you a few quick fire questions okay so the whole thinking here is how well do you know your own game i've been on uh okay. i've been on the tours site and i've found out a few stats about you and we'll see how how well you know your game okay. so uh twenty seventeen what was your what was your average what was your average driving distance in 2017
1: I'd say right around
0: three hundred. Exactly three hundred point three. Very good. Where where does that oh, place, really? wow. Where does that okay. place you on the tour? Um. Uh,
1: well behind Ryan Fox, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> probably. I don't know, thirtieth, fortieth, something like that. Not that
0: high. Forty third. Does it feel like you're that you're not that high up the the driving distance?
1: Um. Do I feel like that? No. I feel like my good drive is just probably just as good as, as most guys good drives but I, I miss some um, especially right. on the one where they count the distance so <laughs> <laughs> that, that shoots me in the foot there a little <laughs> bit. Uh,
0: how many events did you play in 2017? Acor- uh, this is according to the European Tours website so you may have played a few others that I don't know about but how many did you play on the European Tour Challenge Tour?
1: Okay so combine both combined both tours. Yeah. I would say um twenty
0: two? Twenty three. Okay. Um twenty three, according to them. What was your lowest round of the year? Uh that
1: was sixty
0: two at Sicily. Correct. the, I Jura. Count on the number. Yeah. I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> and what was your sorry to bring this up, what was your highest round of the year?
1: Highest round I shot. how much harder it was to recall the highest This is,
0: below, see, this you know? is right out of Tiger um, Woods' playbook, isn't it? Not remembering the bad, the bad shots, the bad rounds. I'm impressed. Yeah.
1: My gosh. Highest round. Uh, I know at the Open, the first day, I shot four or five over. Um
0: that was a par 71 I got higher than that you did well I hate to I hate to remind you this doesn't sound very good you shot 77 in Denmark obviously not made in Denmark the challenge tour event oh the last day yeah
1: yeah yeah the challenge tour event that's right oh that was bad I was leading through three rounds too should have
0: yeah if someone had I said to you at, if someone had said to you at the start of the year your worst round of the year would have been 77 What would you would you have been happy or how have you felt about that uh
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, that's definitely <laughs> not the way you try to look at it. You know, I'd, I'd definitely be happier if somebody said my best round was 62 than <laughs> your worst round. Um,
0: it it shows a level of consistency, uh, yeah, though. Surely.
1: And, and it, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, 77 over part, You know, that's not very good either. But uh, <laughs> I I I think the scoring average would probably be more indicative than than the worst round because um, otherwise you could just have. 50 rounds shooting 75 or 76, and that, that's, that's not a very good year.
0: That's so, very true. That's very true. Um, um, how many under par were you at the check challenge? 23. Correct, that's very low.
1: That, is, that was pretty low, yeah. But like I said, I was 21 through three rounds, so kind of uh, I do remember that because I shot 67,
0: 65, me first three. <laughs> um okay and then two questions about your university days uh which former president of the u.s. went to the same university at you, as you at dukes
1: nixon went to the uh grad school i think yes uh,
0: that's what i've got nixon wh- that's
1: what you got okay yeah. so he did the nba though he went to the grad school i'm
0: pretty sure that still counts yeah still
1: counts okay, <laughs> sure
0: enough. what what did he study right, I got that. Gee. what did he study no clue
1: law
0: no. there you go <laughs> well I, I think we'll wrap it up there um, Julian thank you very much for joining us and um, good luck in Hong Kong play well yeah. and uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you at some point thanks. next year
1: alright sounds good Neil appreciate it thanks for having
0: me okay so that was Julian Surrey, we wish him well in 2018. Uh, he clearly has the, as I said at the end there, clearly has the right attitude for it. Uh, all the confidence that you need to perform well. So uh, we will, oh, I will be watching his uh, career very, very closely. And next week we have Ben Barham for you. Now, Ben is a different type of story. Ben was a European tour player Uh, in the mid-2000s, 2005, 6, 7. He established himself on the Tour, started to make quite a good living out of the Tour. He was a solid European Tour player, came within a whisker of winning uh, the Austrian Open, where he was beaten by Rafa Guerrero-Beyer, who shot 60 in the final round, I believe. And then, not long after that, Ben was diagnosed with cancer. Um, Thankfully, Ben is back to full fitness and full health now. Um, He had a go at returning to sort of the the touring pro ranks but um, didn't quite manage to do that he's now a coaching a teaching professional based in Kent uh, and his story is well worth a listen I promise I will get this edit the next edit out a little bit sooner than I did this one please do my apologies for that anyway if you like the podcast please give us a like Uh, otherwise we will see you next time